Hello and welcome to How AI Built This. This episode of the podcast, uh, like every other one, is brought to you by Cathcart Associates, um, tech recruitment extraordinaires, uh, and all around good people. Admittedly, I am one of them, uh, but we work with some of the most interesting companies in the country, um, help them find uh, great people for their teams, and kind of mostly focus on tech SMEs, which is a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, thank you to them for sponsoring. Uh, I'm very excited for today's podcast. We have the absolute legend that is Jennifer Stark lead data engineer head of data at lad bible in manchester jennifer and i have worked together on a couple of projects and i'm excited to sit down tell her very very interesting story um so please welcome jennifer stack thanks for coming on Thanks for inviting me. In case anyone didn't listen to the intro, this is Jennifer Stark. Hi. We should probably pretext the whole podcast by saying that we know each other. Hi, yes, um, we do. I, for almost two years? Yeah. Wow. So I, I helped you find a job in the UK uh, after you relatively recently moved back from the States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we've worked together for a couple of years and did, I was on the Pi Data podcast, episode two. Give it a listen. <laughs> and I've been involved in sponsoring Pi Data. Yep. Also, you spoke at Man Kamel, so lots of uh, lots of crossover. Um, so it made sense to sit down on uh, on this as well. We always start with education, depending on what that means for everybody. Uh, some people didn't go to university. You very much went to university. Yeah, um, kind of ripped the piss a bit. <laughs> uh, but you started in Cardiff, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do. All the things I wanted to do whilst doing my A levels required three or four A's at A-level. Okay. And I wasn't good I don't enough. understand English education, but that sounds good. Um, yeah, well, standards, I guess, is in Scotland, is it? Uh, hires. Hires. Yeah, for yeah. A, I think that's the equivalent. Yeah, um, like the ones just before university. Yeah, hires. So we did... Um, so you needed four A's to do the stuff that Some of them needed four A's, like medicine, English yeah, okay, literature, yeah, 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 yeah. psychology, veterinary school. <laughs> were these all options at one point? <laughs> there were all things like, I'm like, I, I was just interested in all kinds of things. Um, so you thought you would go for something easy and went to do neuroscience? Well, I thought, I'm not going to get medicine. Um, I, I, read, I finished school with a BBC. Um, the B, Bs were in biology and English, lit. And the C was in chemistry with some retakes. Um, it was modular, so I had to retake some of the modules. Um, and yeah, and I saw this new degree, neuroscience, that was... Uh, it's so brand new. No one had ever talked about it. I hadn't heard about it before. But if I was, if I did medicine, I would have gone into psychiatry, which is brains. And I thought, well, neuroscience is related. Uh, that's all brains too. So it seemed like a good option. And because it was brand new, they didn't have the high um, requirements for it to get in. As good, as good a reason as any. Yeah. Where are you from? Near, Where did you grow up? Mm, Wiltshire. Okay. Yeah. Um, good little county. And Cardiff was somewhere you were keen on or somewhere that did that degree? Or both? Uh, it was between Cardiff and was it Sheffield or Manchester at the time? And I couldn't decide which I got I think I was able to go to either, but so I couldn't decide, so I decided first year halls of residence were minutely cheaper in Cardiff. <laughs> so I picked Cardiff. Again, good good rationale. Also yeah. heard it's a great night out, so you probably did it oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've not been, but I've heard good things. 80s night at Student Union with 80s music and 80 pence pints at the time. Jeez, yeah. we, won't, we won't say what year, but 80 pence pints. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not 80s night, they're not 80p. That's not allowed anymore. <laughs> uh, in my notes, I've got dot, dot, dot and kickboxing alongside neuroscience. Yeah. Was this a new thing at university to relieve some of the stress of neuroscience nope. studies, or did you do that before? No. Um, no to both. I'd never done it before, but I had always wanted to get fit. I've always been more of a, a book person, mm. um, but I did want to get fit, and I thought, I'm not going to do exercise unless someone's yelling at me. So I thought martial arts makes sense, and kickboxing was at, at Cardiff, it was a brand new club, um, and I thought, let's try that. You know, there's, there's a theme speaking. here where you're just taking the things that yeah. nobody done before, so you yeah. like, that's actually the theme throughout my entire professional career. <laughs> nice. thought, yeah. Um, so there's lots of failures where things just don't work, and that's because no one's done it before. Uh, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, we'll get onto the kickboxing stuff in more detail. This could waylay into a chat <laughs> about kickboxing and not AI. So keep keep listening if you can. Um, <laughs> did you you liked it obviously? Cause you kept doing it for ages. But did you oh, like it? Sh- yeah. Did you like it straight away? Oh, fucking <laughs> neuroscience. We're straight no, on kickboxing. No, kickboxing was good. Um, so I was at Cardiff for 
four years, but with, with one year out in industry. So the third is a sandwich uh, degree. Yeah. Um, so the first and second year and fourth year, I did kickboxing as part of the university club. And also the instructor who taught at the club had his own gym in Cardiff. Uh, so I was a member of that as well. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we'll come back to it because I don't want everyone to switch off straight away if we're only going to talk about martial arts, <laughs> um, which is the other other thing other than data and football that I love. Not necessarily in that order. So you did Cardiff for four years, obviously loved it, said it was a good night out. Yeah. You must have decided that neuroscience was something you were interested in because you continued it as a PhD. Sure. Um, it was or is that not true? I mean, no, it's not untrue. So I was lucky enough to go to university when it was free at the time. Mm. Um, Me too, because of the SMP. Oh, I don't know what that is. University is free in Scotland. Oh, yeah. Um, for Scottish people. University should be free. Uh, We're going to get waylaid onto that as well. But, yeah. you know, that is good. That's a good reason to stay on. Yeah, so um, so because of that, I didn't have... I mean, I still had student loans, but it wasn't, you know... That was uh, for drinking and stuff. No. no. <laughs> um, so I, I, thought, I didn't know what else to do. There's nothing job-wise I wanted to do, so I thought, I guess you do a PhD then? That's definitely not what other people think. <laughs> no, well, that's why I decided. I guess I'll do another five years of grueling education and yeah, put I myself through the mill. I guess I'll do some more research, find out what that's about. So um, I applied to different uh, PhD programs, including Leeds, Manchester, um, some in London. Got offered one in Manchester, which seemed really interesting because it was um, neuroimaging to MRI. There's a collaboration between the neuroimaging lab and um, your traditional behavioural neuroscience or biology lab with, yes. uh, with rats. So I thought, this sounds really cool. MRI sounds really cool. Never done that before. I'll do that. Again? And then never I'm, done it? Yeah, never done it. So and that's where your uh, long affinity to Manchester started as yes. well? Yes, yeah. Shout out to Manchester since we're here. Oh yeah. Um, right. And it's not raining by the looks of it. It has been today. Ah, yeah. But not really. um, so you did your PhD. I always ask people to do a PhD. Did you enjoy that process, or by the end of it, were you ready to run away? I learned a butt ton in my PhD, and I don't regret it at all. That's uh, good. I mean, I I was into it enough to then continue and do postdoc yep. research afterwards. So I stayed on in the same collaborative lab. So because it was a, it was a two lab experience, so I yep. stayed on doing. Continuing my research, really, which was in um, appetite systems and obesity. So we were the imaging we were doing was to see what what in the brain lit up um, in response to things that made you hungry or things that made you not hungry. So okay. one of those was using THC. Yeah. Um, Delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol. If you're interested. Uh, so that's the part it's in cannabis. It's a hot topic right now. Yeah. So everyone loves some THC. Yeah. Um, so that's the part in cannabis that make, ca- cannabis makes you hungry. Um, so we gave rats that, uh, amongst other things at different times. Um, and just mapped what, where in the brain lit up in the MRI scans and, and mapped that to, uh, or connected that with their behavior outside of, you know, in their, in their own homes. Did you, while doing this, Looking back into it, is mm. this is that was that your first like, um, like adventure into data? Because yes. you're collecting lots and lots of data, yeah, and doing something with it. Yeah, absolutely. So it was it was quite uh, a range because in the biology behavioural lab, you know, the data would be from six um, friends and <laughs> six rats. They're so cute, um, and they would. So that, that's not a big data set, you mm. know. You might get one measure from each of them yeah. per day or per hour over a few hours or days, and that's it. Job done. Yeah, okay. finished. In the MRI, you're taking four-dimensional scans. So you've got the 3D scan of their brain across yeah. time, so that's the fourth dimension. Yeah. So there's a lot of... I learned physics, the physics of MRI and how MRI machines work. Had to learn how to run the MRI machine, and then analysing doing signal processing, which is a whole different bag. So we were using MATLAB yeah. um, and a, a, a new imaging analysis software called SPM, which was written to sit on top of MATLAB, basically. Okay. And I, and it, so for me, I just used the user interface part of that, so clicking buttons and, and whatnot. I didn't really have much of a relationship to the, to the coding part or to 
what was happening necessarily to the data from a you know, signal processing perspective, but um, there are enough. But yeah, that's when I learned how interesting the data part can be. Nice. Yeah. You mentioned staying on to be a research associate. Yeah. Uh, again, I think I always ask people to do PhDs. Did you think once you'd done some of the research work, like continued it, and then we'll get onto it, but you moved on to do some postdoc stuff uh, in the States, mm. was like a lifetime of academia in your thought process? Uh, well, as you may have noticed from my previous decision making, <laughs> there was not a long term plan. It's like, oh, what's next? I'll do this or that. No, fair enough. Which, um, might stress people out to hear that because I know a lot of people will have some people have these long term plans and know what they want to be when they're kids and, and they or yeah. at least when they're at school or whatever and I've never had a long term plan yeah no I have really. a friend that will remain nameless and I'm not even going to go into the details because it would be very obvious but as soon as that person finished high school their next 10 years were mapped out and were get into the 10 year mark and it's pretty much went for right. like spot exactly spot on yeah. uh, which I can do um, yeah. so no I appreciate that um, I mean I decided what course I was doing at uni based on who else I knew that was applying and if I thought I could do it for four years yeah, fair. rather than thinking what I could do after it no. which I almost changed at one point but decided not to bother the thing is as well the job market changes so much that what jobs might have been available at the end of four years might all have changed by the time you actually finish your degree. Yeah, nobody tells you that though. So no, I'm glad that you, you mentioned that. Um, so obviously <laughs> academia was a, a continued theme for a little bit yeah, longer. I've always been a learner, so I'm comfortable learning. I'm comfortable in that space where you, you can say that we need to do this vague thing and then and I can... something's brand new and you have to go figure it out. Yeah, figure it out. Like, like that's fine. So, I mean, again, we'll get onto this in more detail, but that's quite a good skill for a data scientist. Yeah. Like you kind of get given fairly vague problems yeah. to solve in a way yeah. that you can then talk to really non-technical people about. Yeah. So it's kind of learning, isn't it? How did you end up in the States? I was coming up to the end of my postdoc. <laughs> what so you I thought I stayed in Manchester <laughs> and <I wrote laughs> Baltimore? No, I just applied to whatever job seemed interesting. Now, at that point, you know, I developed a certain skill set yeah. that people are specifically looking for. So I can't. Yeah. It's harder to jump across at that point. You, you, you're sort of getting set in your skill set. A little more silo, yeah. Do so you either look for a postdoc that's within your skill set, but a different topic, maybe? Yeah. Or the same topic, but maybe different. Different skill. Or oh, different skill set. Yeah. So I was looking at um, any labs looking for a postdoc, which involved uh, MRI. Um, and so this opportunity came up in National Institute of Health, um, the, the, the drug abuse research branch yep. in Baltimore. Uh, most of the NIH is in Bethesda, which is just down the road, but the aging and drug abuse are in Baltimore. I don't think Bethesda liked us. They just put us away in Baltimore, far mm. away. No, it's better uh, for me. did you enjoy Baltimore? Loved it. Loved Baltimore. How much was a pint there? I don't remember actually. I don't remember. I like $2. I liked a pint of uh, Fat Tire is a good one. Oh. Yeah, like that one. Um, we should yeah, have start, started the pint conversation at the start. What was the Cardiff pint? Ooh. Now we need to go through them all. Ooh. I think I might have been. No, was it Boddington's? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. We'll, just, we'll stop that. Yeah, don't. <laughs> we'll I've been through this a lot since I first started. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I applied for the job in, in Baltimore, got turned down at first. Um, but then, Rude. <laughs> but then, because they only had funding for one new researcher yeah, in okay. their lab, and then um, they, I think they ended up getting more more funding. So then they extended the offer to me. It's post so postdocs like a job, right? Yeah. So like, it's not the same thing as you don't have to self fund anything. Like they pay you to come over. Yeah. And is it easier to work abroad as a postdoc because you're doing it in education? Like, does that circumvent some of the visa issues? America's not the easiest place to get work. Especially not now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is back in 2009 that I moved over. Um, I imagine even then. For, for me, it was super easy because That's it was because the research position was with the with the government research, mm. which is you know the NIH's government. So because it was all government, it meant they would have had me on a J1 visa, which is a visiting fellow. Yeah. So there's certain restrictions. I obviously was via. Um, covered all those and and so I would normally one of us I can't remember which end would normally have to pay for it pay for the visa but yeah. because it was all government it sort of like paid for itself they pay, yeah, it or got waived or whatever so I didn't have to worry about that 
Um, and you stayed there for a while. Yeah, that was four years. Was that? Did you sign up for four years? Was that the whole point that it was like a four-year gig? It was actually five years. I could opt for three or five years. Yeah. Um, and I opted for five because sure, why not? Um, but unfortunately, none of my experiments worked. Yeah. The problem with being, you know, because I was pushing the boundaries obviously, all the time. Obviously. All the time. Um, the thing is that the funding was intramural funding, which means that they don't have to re- request funding. They mm. get the government gives them a pocket, a, a, an amount of money every year, and then they can spend it how they want to. Which yeah, means okay. that branch of research can do can can take part in much more risky research endeavours. Um, whereas extramural research, they have to still, even though the government still, they have to apply for money with justifications and whatnot. Yeah, that's like kind of more like deliverables. Yeah. To justify why they had the money. Yeah, well, they want to say, uh, this is a, a, make promises that this is a viable research yeah, okay. project. So like you said, a lot, you could take more risks. We than could take more it. risks. We did take more risks and they didn't pan out. That's how it happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, so they decided not to continue with me for my final year. Um, so then I left. And did you, so you stayed in the States, but did you want to? Or was it again? I did want to. I, I wasn't to. ready to leave. Yeah, yeah okay. I was. I had a great community in Baltimore. Really enjoyed living there. The weather was great. Yeah. Of course. I, I imagine. I mean, yeah. Really liked it. It was. Yeah, not too expensive to live there. It's nice. Yeah, I did three months in North Carolina in a summer between uni, mm. and I kind of wish I'd known a bit more about American unis, like before I went yeah. so this was like at the end of my second year so like I was going into like third and fourth where okay. it was obviously a bit more like a bit more on the line I kind of wish that I knew at the end of high school that you could go to America for uni yeah because it was quite a good time oh yeah like it's so different yeah um, and they take uni very seriously as well do they? who does? I just the mean like I just do. mean like the whole thing like the colleges are all like, they're like a big deal. It's because they're expensive. Like big business, <laughs> it's, like, it's like big business, it's like, there's a real like pride attached to all the university stuff. Like, I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast, it doesn't has no relevance at all to the AI, <laughs> but the university I went and stayed at for a week at the end of summer uh, was NC State and they don't play football slash soccer. Mm. And uh, on my last day, the person I was staying with showed me the um, football pitch. There was 3,000 fans. And they don't play football, like they don't care. And they're like, yeah, we don't really care about football, you only get like this little stand. 3,000 people. That's like at my, good. at my university, there was like three dads <laughs> watching their sons, and it's not even an exaggeration. Wow. So, like, just all that kind of stuff, like, the whole like vibe of it was very different. Yeah, it's very um, different vibe, yeah. And like, everyone's kind of like just mad for their school. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was one of the things that if I could have done it. It would have been really cool. And so I'm not surprised you didn't want to leave. Um, did your new role change much or was it quite similar? Did you have to do something? Like, did you again apply for something that was in the same realm? Um, no, well, because because of all the stuff that happened at that role at the NIH, um, so a bunch of things happened. We, we got, as soon as I went over, we were in recession. So we didn't get any pay rise for the whole time I was there. Mm. And we cut use of paid for tech, like research, like analysis software and whatnot. Yeah, okay. So we had to learn how to use R and Python. So that was my introduction to coding. Nice, we're bringing it back around, nice. Yeah. Um, so I um, discovered I really like coding and having that control over what I do to the data. Did you teach yourself how to do it or did someone help? Or there what? was some help in in the lab. There's a, a, a physicist, a star scientist called Tom Ross. I'm wondering if I remembered it properly, but yeah, pretty sure Tom was. He's amazing. Uh, uh, he was helping us because like everyone had to learn suddenly how to code. So we st- I started off in in R, but then then they had like lab lab wide Python teaching, and because I was so I was trying so hard to get my analysis done and my research done, I didn't go to those classes. But then the, t- the odd time I went, I was completely lost. Yeah, okay. So I didn't I didn't understand how any of it worked. I didn't know what was going on. Um, so it, but trying to think of what I wanted to do next, I thought well, research isn't really working out for me. I don't have any publications to really speak of, so it's hard to stay in academia if you don't have publications. Yeah. Plus, there's a lot about academia that I don't that bothers me. So I thought maybe I should. It's time to leave. But I did like data, and I liked doing data visualization or presentation. 
Um, so I looked for ways that I could work on those aspects of data. So I applied for I applied for a couple of postdocs, but also I applied for a new master's course uh, on information visualization, which covered data viz from a graphic design, coding, and stats perspective. Nice. Yeah. So, another new thing. Yeah, another brand new thing. So this is like this is getting into the existence of all the invention of data science. So, so just starting the data science era and data viz era was just being to start then around 2013. Yeah. Um, so I got accepted on the two postdocs and on the data viz course. Nice. So I took uh, the data viz course, which was in Baltimore, but it's also remote. And then I took a job, a nine to five job, as a research assistant at the University of Maryland yeah. in their neuroimaging, in their human neuroimaging facility. Okay. So I was basically running experiments for other people at that point, which meant I could do nine to five. It wasn't, you know, I could I could do it fine without tiring out my brain. And then in the evening, I could do this remote masters. In Davis. In Davis. It's got a lot of work though. Yeah, I mean, I planned it all out and it worked out. <laughs> planned. I mean, I did plan that. Like, I okay, thought, because I, I, I could have taken the postdoc positions yeah, and okay. done the masters, and that would not have worked at you all. You fried your brain, and you might have yeah. been doing something totally different. I would have failed both things. Yeah, that's not good. But instead, I went to University of Maryland, which is fantastic. Met a ton of great people who now work for named brands, which are amazing. Um, Don't worry, there's no advertisement on this. You can name whatever you want. You stayed there. Yeah. And moved into research science. Was that just like a promotion? Mm. So. I finished the masters and then so I'm still working as an assistant yeah. and I want to put my skills to use yeah. right so um, I think okay unfortunately the, the masters did not have as much programming in it that I, as I wanted it to okay it was only the again brand new course we were the second cohort so in my new science at Cardiff we were the second the second year coming in this masters degree with a second cohort coming in um, and yeah, I was expecting a lot more stats, a lot more Python or coding of some kind. Yep. So at that time, boot camps were starting to spring up. Um, I'm living in DC, uh, General Assembly, which is a boot camp company. Um, yeah, yeah. They're worldwide, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So they had a data science certificate program, which was in the evenings. So it was a part time program over 11 weeks. So I did that got my Python machine learning skills up and running. And then um, they started to look for another job. So then I got a research, um, like another postdoc essentially, postdoc job in the computational journalism lab at University of Maryland. So that lab was um, spanning, spanning computer science and journalism together uh, Computer science is used a lot in journalism. We just don't, we just didn't realize it's that. But in this research lab, he was um, Nick Dokopoulos, who's the PI there. He's now at Northwestern Chicago. Um, his lab was looking at algorithmic accountability. So how can, first of all, how can we research or reverse engineer algorithms to understand how they're working or where their biases are? And okay. then how can we educate or like pass our knowledge on to journalists so that they can have a algorithm beat as yeah, it works. You've, okay. got, you know, you've got crime, you've got housing, you've got real estate, whatever, yeah, yeah, different yeah. beats. So creating algorithm accountability as a beat in journalism. But it's brand new, so you need to like figure out how how it can be done and then disseminate that to journalism. Which was really cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Um, and I think you managed to Oh, I mean, do very well there, I imagine. But you also managed to travel and speak about that. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. And probably one of the things that you get from academia, maybe more than industry, oh, but like yes. you're kind of encouraged to go. You have to go and shout about what you're doing, basically. Yeah. Yes. That's good. Yeah. Uh, where did you go? Favorite place? <laughs> I don't remember all the places. Um, oh, favorite place, not all of them. Uh, where was the California place? There's one in California. Oh, let's go with that one. Uh, well, that was good. My research is um, not good enough to get the individual ones. Minneapolis, St. Paul, that was good. Nice. Uh, oh, and after I left the States, I got an invite to keynote at in, in Sao Paulo. 
Wow. Yeah, they paid for my flights at the time I was staying in Japan. <laughs> well, when you did the Man Camel keynote, you got pizza. Yeah, <laughs> and the pizza was fabulous. Uh, that's really cool to go to Sao Paulo to talk about work you were doing like in the States yeah. when you'd actually left. Yeah, that was so pretty great. epic. Yeah. Um, did you miss that part of it? Like, kinda, yes. It's not even like, I was going to say you get to show off, but like it's not really about that. Like It's kind of like... Sharing ideas. Yeah, sharing, collaboration. Yeah. I think it was, well, we'll get to this because I always just jump ahead. But is that one of the, was that one of the drivers for Paideia that you got involved in that? To yeah. share ideas, I collaboration, mean, community? For sure. Um, I mean, one of the, when I came back to Manchester, I, I wanted to come back to Manchester because um, I did have before and loved it. Yeah. And I knew that the tech community here was really getting big I mean since I I don't think well I wasn't in the same field when I was here before doing my PhD and postdoc so I might not have been aware of it but it just seems to have exploded recently uh, yeah so I think I when you were doing PhD postdoc I, maybe the really. end of your postdoc maybe again I don't know I wasn't really involved in it either yeah, but I would, have, I would have guessed at the end of your postdoc it was maybe creeping in yeah but when you returned maybe like a couple of years before that yeah it, it did just go mental yeah so I thought it would be a really great place. It's small enough to get to know people. Yeah. So I wanted to um, sort of try my hand at being my own business, like a data consultant, data science person. Yeah. Um, but to do that, you really have to know people in your uh, community. Yeah. You have to have a network. You need to know everyone. You need to know everyone. So a step towards that was go and speak at, net, at meetups. So I went yep. to Helpless Data, which is a brilliant meetup for people who um, people identify as women yep. in any part of data um, and uh, met loads of great people there and then I went to um, a party in Manchester meet up and there's lightning talks I messaged them I was like hey have you got space left for lightning talk thinking that'll be gone and they said yes please <laughs> and was that uh, did John and Joe do it then yeah yeah so they'd done so it's just one. those two that was their first one branded as Pi-data. Oh, because they did one before and then they rebranded. I remember yeah. all of this. I thought they were man out competition, so I wasn't a huge fan. Even Ooh. though Joe, even, <laughs> even though Joe and I had spoken before, and so had John and I. Yeah. Uh, oh, those two are brilliant. But I thought it was. Uh, I thought they were trying to get in on on the man came out. No, uh, no, but they're not. You were uh, as well, so yeah, because more or less, kind of. I'd be significantly bolder than yeah, I am it'd be a if we did it monthly <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so, so yeah we, we went to speak at that and after that it was like the after event drinks and I said can I be a co-organiser and they said yes they said yes please yeah um, I thought brilliant yeah so we jumped about a little bit but yeah you moved back to the UK yeah you discussed why which is good uh, running your own business I suppose it is worth getting into like I think now if you did it I'll be like, better off now. I don't sure. even mean now as in like with the experience you have in full time roles. I mean just like now as in twenty twenty. I think there's more of an appetite for like more individual yeah. consultancy on the data science. Room. Yeah, and I think there's some companies that maybe just don't need a full time employee. Mm. There's some companies that don't need the use of a large consultancy that charges them thousands and thousands and thousands. Yeah. Some people just need like a bit of help. Yeah, well that, um, that's the I think my client well, I'm not going to my client base. That was aiming for. Yeah. No, we're going to that just in case you take over the world with it. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I know there's other people in Manchester that have started doing like things like that. And, yeah, and everybody uh, needs a data person. Everyone needs someone that can tell them about data. Because mm. sometimes they don't even need someone, but they need someone to tell them that. Mm. <laughs> that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, well, that too, um, yeah. yeah. So, so to take a look at what they've got and say, you're fine. Yeah, so we had, um, so Joe, who was on the podcast two or three episodes ago, mm-hmm. her company does that where they're not oh, really, yeah. they're not aiming for like working with the like ASOSs and the mm. like Pepsis of the world. Like they want to work with smaller companies who probably have a lot of data. Yeah. Her, her podcast really resonated with me because I yeah. thought like that's really... Well, she tried it at the big consultants. I didn't like it. She'd worked in the big banks. Did like it actually there. But just thought like, you know, I need to give this a go. And mm. like a lot of her business is like education and I think quite importantly, like simplicity as well. Like there's a lot of noise mm. uh, especially around like, the recruitment of data scientists as well like we have to try and dilute that in oh, my job like yeah. you don't always need a data scientist no got a lot of re- opinions about recruitment but we, we've discussed before we should get into that <laughs> uh, no but I did a talk where I said um, that we'll turn people away if they don't need a data scientist and I, I just, we actually would do that mm. and a guy came up to me and was like you would give away business and I was like well yeah because like 
the person you get that job they're going to hate it they're going to hate it and then and the company's going to hate it the company's going to hate it so they're not going to get the value so they're going to like regret paying you or paying they're me gonna the fee blame you maybe and the candidate potentially is going to think I'm a dickhead yeah and like <laughs> they might find that out anyway but it would be good if they didn't find it out too soon mm. um, so yeah there's loads of stuff like that and I think having some of those smaller either individual consultancies yeah. or people or a little network of people like yeah. whatever it might be there's still quite a lot of room for that I think yeah. and I think there will be more and, and more and they can dip their toe into data science with a budget that's not gonna that they can they can try the idea and they can leave the idea without having spent yeah. like a butt ton of money yeah maybe it's like a month of like exploration yeah and then it's like two days a month for a couple of years of like maintaining yeah like, that's fine yeah totally fine because and you shouldn't hire a data scientist for that because either they're not going to be very good or they're going to leave very quickly um, right. and some data work you might disagree with this some data work I feel like you can do all the really fun stuff in X amount of weeks months days mm. and then after that it's like it's quite boring like business as usual like right. refreshing the reports like making sure the data viz looks good yeah. like giving the management of the company something mm. we're not really doing anything else and maybe mm. you don't need to be doing anything else no I always think isn't there always something else though? Oh, I'm sure, but if a company is pretty hamstrung, like with budget and right. maybe like the business doesn't need everything to be like all singing, all dancing, they mm. could just really do with some automation. Yeah, yeah. Like once you've fair. done the original, like finding the data, yeah. like cleaning it, making it presentable, right? And maybe you've done such a good job that they'll then release more money to you to do loads of other stuff. Yeah. But maybe they just need you to do that every few months. Yeah. And like that's all right. That's if that's what a company has yeah um, we've spoken to a lot of companies where I always mention data because it's what I kind of like talking about um, <laughs> it shows when I'm getting paid like Monday and Friday but the the low, a lot of them will say like we, we would love to do something with data yeah. but like we just don't really have the resource yeah. time budget or like, even they just don't know what to do don't know where to start yeah. and if you're a really big company not knowing where to start is quite a problem because you could just get lost oh there's so many rabbit holes and if you're not an experienced, experienced maybe the wrong word, but if you're not like quite a savvy data professional, like if you just bring in a like graduate PhD mm. or first time data scientist and say, here you go, like yeah. that might take them like forever to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even, I don't even want to think about it. it because it could happen. Just, yeah, it's just horrifying. I don't want to, like, I would just feel so bad for anyone put in that position. I always tell the same stories, but I've had loads of people that I know that have been brought in to be data scientists and then just kind of told to crack on. And like some of them, admittedly, took that as a challenge and were like, well, like, if you're not going to give me work, I'll just make some. Yeah. But other people are like, uh, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, you must have a reason for me being here. Right. Um, and some people don't. So you're back in the UK. Yeah. The sunshine in Manchester is obviously beating down. Oh. And did we meet at my Kimmel? I called you about something because so I was at at the lightning talks pi data event mm -hmm. that I inserted myself into the organisation yes um, <laughs> I there was another the, new event so you thought you would go along no well I was at the bar with them talking about stuff and I said something 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 they said talk to Liam Wilson oh good job in general yeah it was them I do, and I, I said oh pint. why they said well you know he's a recruiter but he knows something, something and I can't remember what it was but I called you about it we had a chat on the phone and you said by the way you're very nice. You said, oh, by the way, um, I know you're not, you said you're not looking for anything, for a job right now, but I've got these two roles that might, I think might be right up your alley or something along those lines. Yeah. And I thought, well, never say no. So I said, yes. So literally, I'll try it. Yeah, try it. Uh, um, that's I, think, I mean, saying no to opportunities, is, especially when you're trying to feel your way, you know, in a new, um, yeah. in a new town. And you were going to work out what you were going to yeah, do, what you were going to do. Yeah. And, um, I was starting to realise how hard it was to do anything in a city that I no longer knew. Because, you know, because I'm in a, I might be back in my same city, but it's a whole new... Oh, it's a whole new landscape, kind of five, six, seven, eight years. Like, it's such a big time, right? Yeah, well, not just that, but I'm in a different domain now. Oh, yeah, you weren't even doing, yeah. like, academia. You were it's trying to get into... Different. So I might as well have been in a different city, to be honest. Yeah. Because there's so much construction, different layout, different buildings. BBC had been knocked down. Sky rises um, everywhere. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know anybody. So never say no. That's uh, one advice I would give to people. Um, so I said, yeah, sure. So I talked to two people, one of them being the magical Phil Bates. Oh, shout out to Phil Bates. Yeah. We need to get him on this. Um, yes. Oh, he'd be great. 
so a little bit of context then I don't remember the initial conversation in terms of why we spoke yeah, I, I remember I remember speaking yeah. um, I thought we'd bumped into each other at one of the events and then we're introduced but that Maybe might, be, I might be confusing probably Maybe I was always I, to get myself on the I still, try, still try and pitch that um, <laughs> so yeah we spoke like you said uh, I took it as an opportunity to tell you about some of the stuff I was doing yeah. uh, both opportunities went really well, actually. Yeah. Um, and like you said, Phil Bates, um, who at the time was head of data at Spare Room, yeah. UK, um, yeah. who people might have heard of, um, they were hiring for a data engineer. So his first kind of like experienced data engineer to bring into the team, um, and he asked us if we could help. I don't even know how that came about, <laughs> uh, but Phil's a great guy. Yeah. Um, and. We'd actually lined up a couple of people for him to speak to, but I remember after he met you, he phoned me straight away and was like, I think we need to hire Jen. And I was like, all right, that like, sounds good. So obviously that went ahead. Uh, you joined them 2018, July 2018? Yes, it roughly. was July 2018, yeah, um, exactly. So kind of a year and a half-ish ago. Yeah. That was quite a big learning curve, right? Because that oh, was kind yeah. of your first like role in industry. Yeah. And also like everyday hands-on Python coding, right? Um, well, my the, the computational journalism lab was pretty much all Python. Was all Python, yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, this was my first job in industry. Uh, very small team. Very small team. So, so the tech team, maybe 20, maybe 25 people at the time. But then your team was like three people, right? The actual data team, three people, yeah. yeah. So Phil, me and Rosie Mason. And uh, I think people don't understand that um, that data teams are always well, not always data teams are very often quite a small part yeah. of a tech team, yeah. even though they're dealing with like huge amounts, yeah. and they're responsible for a lot. But they quite often are like three to five people. Yeah, they're not a dev team where it could be twenty. Right. Well, I mean, I think at Sparum as well that the data team was an experiment at the time. Yeah. So it was relatively new. You know, uh, Phil and Rosie were the first hires, and Rosie came from um, the customer service side. Yeah, so she, she moved had, over, right? Yeah, she moved over. She had domain knowledge of how the company worked, how the website worked, how the data worked. And, you know, when you, as data people, when you're dealing with user input data, yeah, that can be a nightmare. Yeah. Or, or learning, figuring out how, what fields mean in your data set. Yeah. And, like, it, it might have a, a certain field name, but, Sometimes that's not very accurate or not very descriptive of where that food comes from. So I mean, she was amazing to have on the team. She just knew the business. She, yeah. she knew the business yeah, very she knew well, the business. and then Phil taught her some of the technical yeah. I mean, stuff. I, I mean, you. Yeah, I mean, as a team of three people, our all of our backgrounds and skills, um, and, and Rosie became in the team. She became before I got there. She became very savvy at uh, SQL and Python. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the three of us together were. Unstoppable. Unstoppable. Also, your first introduction to Google Clouds. Yeah, right? GCP, did you did yeah. you do anything cloud wise before? No. no. Well, I'd done some Linux. Yeah. Well, okay. I guess you'd call it on prem. I, yeah. I didn't know that at the time, but you know, a lot of the MRI data would have been on servers. Yeah, on site. servers on site. So yeah. you'd be working at your your personal machine, and you have to like SSH. Yeah. Into other machines, and so that was like Linux command line. Well, that's interesting because I reckon most people in the kind of data world, I don't want to generalize, but I reckon a huge portion of them were just kind of like involved in AWS. Like a lot of the data engineers, data scientists that I speak to or was speaking to back then, I reckon most of them would have had like a familiarity familiarity with AWS. I know Phil did, but then obviously they were using Google at, um, at a spare room. So you you picked up a bit of that. Yeah. I think you really liked it, right? Yeah. Well, the great thing about Phil as a as a boss, um, and he would hate that. Sorry, Phil. Is that he he's a great mentor as far as what I think makes an effective person in charge. Yeah. You want to call it um, the big boss. Yeah, the big boss. <laughs> he embodied all of it, so he he takes you along for the journey. So rather yeah. than making decisions and just saying this is what we're going to do. He like brings you along. He's having some input and like yeah, some opinion on it. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, at the time when I when I joined, we weren't. I don't think we were married to GCP at that time. But but he'd be like, you know, can you read up on this and check this and have a read of this? Like, tell me what you think. Is this does this make sense? Is this good? Useful? Is this you know? Is do we want to use this tool? 
Um, so I do a bit of research and go, actually, That's this good. sounds really good. I like that they've got. I, I like his way of working because I know yeah. that some places you're kind of married to one product. Yeah. I'm going to use this because this is what I've always used. Yeah, and even yeah. just like AWS has got a big name and they spend loads of yeah. money on marketing. And they're so established. They're, they're more established good. than DCP at the moment. Weird delay because you would think Google would be like neck and neck with Amazon because like as a company you look at them both and you're yeah. like, holy shit, they're both massive. Yeah. But Google were just late to the well, party. I think they're late with their, with their cloud platform as something that other people can use. Yeah, yeah. But oh, a, lot they've of, been... a lot of their products that are now cloud products that we can, we can use have been in existence for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, and people so, are familiar with them, right? Yeah, so like, so within Google, they're, they're all actually very mature. Yeah. They've just only now been released as a, as a cloud It's not been like sold as like an service. extra business kind of thing. Yeah. I know AWS is like, it's like the main part of Amazon business now. Like, right. from spanning out of a relatively small thing to basically what it is now. Right. So no, I mean, it's an interesting way of doing it. And I like the fact that you got to kind of read up on it and decide and it was very... Yeah. Uh, Democratic. Yeah, that's um, it. Like, yeah, it's very democratic. Obviously, there was a few changes there. We won't go into it, but you left uh, six months ago. Last day of August. My cool. last day. All right. You're a lab bible now. Yes. Uh, as lead data engineer, head of data, chief data, um, all of them. All of them. As the long as your boss isn't listening, like the yeah, and the lead data engineer. Yep. Of a team of three, and yep. I am the most senior on the data team. So basically, I'm the head of data. Chief data officer. Chief, chief um, head of lead data engineering. I like it. <laughs> uh, so people who are listening, especially if they're in Manchester, will know Lad Bible. Oh, yes. A very successful company out of Manchester. I suppose without going into exactly what they do, because it's not, I mean, it's relevant in terms of you work there. Yeah. But from a data perspective, they're just it must just be never ending. Like, they're the you'll know the better word than I do, but they're the like biggest content producer on Facebook. Is that right? Something like that? Yeah, something like the biggest publisher on biggest Facebook. Biggest publisher, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the biggest publishers on Facebook. I'm pretty I mean, sure they're, they're number one or two, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, for, for a company of just like 260 people. From like the Northern Quarter and like yeah. Facebook's is a global like <laughs> yeah. phenomenon. It's ridiculous. It's craziness. About it like that. What do they need from you? Like, what is, why does data matter? Other than obviously it matters, but like, why do they yeah. care? Um, content, like to know how they're doing. So just kind of like performance of certain pieces. Yeah. And do you kind of dive into it? Like the kind of demographic stuff, the like clicks, likes, performance, just everything. Yeah, I mean, we're starting to go into that more with the new, um, so we're, we're re-platforming the data warehouse at the moment. So currently data warehouse is uh, Redshift and Matillion and uh, Periscope as the dashboard end, but because um, it's not very, it's not as scalable as we want it to be. Yeah. Um, and because of how Matillion works, which is a, well, we just wanted a, a more scalable um, platform that is easier. I feel like it's easier to 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 work on if it's all in code. Yeah. Um, in You're going to get so many phone calls, sales pitching, <laughs> like data solution afterwards. Yeah, brilliant. I love those. They go straight in the uh, in the trash nice to the email trash. Nice to the recruiter emails. Yeah. We've got daily reports at the moment, which is used by content to just see how they did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have hourly yes, Does it have to be quite real time? Like, does it have to be quite instant? Yeah. I mean, most of it is just... We do have an hourly dashboard as well yeah. so you can see so they might they might use that to say well this this article might not be doing as well as we hope so maybe delete it and post something fresh and quite a lot of live stuff is reactive right like they're they're be. quite quick on like current events it can so like be. if something happens they'll yeah. quite often have a story out relatively quickly yeah well, one thing i thought was really great yesterday was they were posted on instagram um that they are i think i can't remember which which campaign of theirs it is? That one I should know because I, I work there. Yeah, but it's, but it's like, and it was called it's called Cutting Through. They've got a Cutting Through campaign, and it's about amplifying scientific sources or, or official sources. Yeah. So like for the for the uh, COVID nineteen coronavirus, yeah. coronavirus, uh, they they posted on on Instagram that they are amplifying uh, reports from WHO or from NHS. So to try and deal with the misinformation out there. Yes. So taking responsibility for their massive worldwide platform in making sure that the, the, the uh, voices like uh, WHO and NHS 
particular herd. Our herd. And I think that's really cool, especially because of my, my background in in computational journalism yeah. and the algorithmic accountability and, and misinformation and yeah, controlling information and it's all yeah. It's probably quite a good thing. So I remember when you first joined them I had asked you about like the kind of reputation they had when they first got going. Um, Which I missed, because I think they started when I was American. Yeah, probably. So Lad Bible, people will probably know, was mm-hmm. very much like a kind of lads website. Yeah. Like, it had a lot of stuff on it yeah. that young men who were having fun, like the guys that set it up, I imagine, were just posting. Right. Uh, and I think even to this day, they probably still have a relatively bad reputation for like clickbait. So I think stuff like It's hard through, to shift sounds good. like that, yeah. Yeah, but if you're doing things like that, I can't remember what else they did. They did something recently. I don't know if it was the bushfires or... Oh, was it the um, Blood Without Bias campaign? Oh, maybe. I'm sure they did something where they had like no adverts on it. It's like it was a relatively serious topic. Oh, there yes. was no... Yeah, they have roles where they don't have like, ads. Like, you don't click on, on it. Yeah. Like, if, if it's a serious story, yeah. they don't sell ad space on that story. She's like, and people probably don't know that because a lot of people, and a lot of other places like that. Yeah, it's very ethical. Are kind of, yeah, they're quite like clickbaity, some people think. Yeah. But I'm just, when you're talking about like, no offence to anyone who thinks this is important, but like if Lad Bible are tweeting a story about the Kardashians, they can clickbait away because like, if you're clicking on it, you're an idiot. Whereas if they're doing like a real story, yeah, then it's quite nice that they take it quite seriously. Yeah. And they do have, I mean, they don't have a responsibility, that's not fair, but like, it's nice that they view themselves as having a responsibility yeah. for stuff like coronavirus and like, if there's something happening in Manchester, like the Manchester bombings and all exactly, that stuff. Exactly, yeah. Like if they can get the, like anything out to their huge audience quickly, right. that's really important. So like, it's good that they think of that through. Uh, so yeah, it's been however long it's been since we don't know, but um, several months. Almost. Enjoying it? six months. Love it. Yeah, such a great team. Everyone's so fun to work with. That's good. Yeah. It's a cool office as well. Yeah. Um, really social. Everyone mixes and talks together. And it's very collaborative. One of the things I really wanted to find was somewhere that was a small team. Yeah. Because I want to be able to have... I want to be able to see everything that company's doing. I don't want to just work on like one tiny yeah, sub-department that. of a company, you know? I want to it's like maximum company. impact as well. Like you want to see that your work's affecting like yeah. other people. But I want to work in a collaborative environment as well. I don't want some, some places even actively encourage competitiveness between developers. Yeah. And that's not where I want to work. That's just silly. And I think, I think I've really found such, I mean, yeah, Labago tech team is great content team are great like I can't say enough greats shout out to to Lab Bible then Conscious of Time we still have Python in Manchester to talk about yeah. so we talked about how you my first question was how did that come about yeah. we now know you guys are relentless <laughs> so I know how much work it takes to oh organise any tech meetup whether yeah. that's six people or 600 people I don't think it really matters no. like the organisation piece is very similar yeah and you guys do a code night a monthly meetup uh, what and else a do you podcast do? And a po- yeah I was getting yeah. to that yeah uh, <laughs> we have do you want to do three events we and do, a podcast no 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 we do three events a month including the podcast including cool yeah so we have a routine code night every month so I like that yeah I always wanted to see if before you guys started I always wanted to see if Man Kamel could do like a spin off techie thing but I would need someone like right. you or John or Joe or Eric to take quite a prominent lead in that Yeah. because I probably doesn't come across on the podcast but I am not clever so running a, <laughs> running, right. running, running a code night is my, idea of, is my idea of hell no well the brilliant thing about code night there's several brilliant things about code night one is that you, it, you know, one of our goals is to build community yeah. right so it's really hard to build community when all your events are talks because yeah. you, you can easily come in sit down listen to talks get up and leave yeah. and not talk to anybody yeah and you kind of like we found when we do four talks people will stay for like the first two because it's early yeah, and it's kind of right after work but they'll get a pizza and they'll be like yeah. oh, I'm quite tired yeah and then maybe they'll stay for one after the pizza and then go. Yeah. And then as soon as the event finishes, they'll all go. Yeah. So like it is hard to foster like Community. genuine yeah. collaboration between like yeah. people. And sharing ideas yeah. and talking about so um so Code Night deals with that. Yeah. And you get to hopefully advance your own data projects that you're working on. So, which is also hard to do it. Like, talks can often be so beyond what you're working on. Or just nothing to do with what you're yeah. even thinking about. You can't apply it, or it's not relevant, yeah. or it's it's too advanced. So, the, so Code Night <clears throat> wanted to foster community. The idea is, people, you know, get help, give help. And oftentimes, people come with a project, 
and they open their laptop, and someone sits next to them, and then they're chatting for the rest of the night. So oftentimes these events start off quite quiet, where people yeah. are just coming in and they're finding somewhere to sit, and they're like and just, just builds up into like and this then, yeah, thing. Within half an hour, as everyone's chatting, and people find out things that they never would have found out before. Like they've probably worked with similar people, like they've probably yeah. worked in the same groups or whatever. Well, right, I've worked in the same. They might know some of the people. They might discover the existence of a. Of a as a, of a library that yeah. would have solved all their problems or um, got a reference to a, a, an online resource that can guide them. So even yeah. if they can't get help in the session, they've now got resources to go home with. They just get something, um, yeah. Yeah, or even just discussing the ideas parts. A lot of people come to these code nights without a project and they want to figure out like what, what could they do. Yeah. You know, they're, they're enthusiastic about starting something with data, but they just don't know where to start. And That's people, a good idea. People love talking about it. I have a question that's not on my bit of paper. Yeah. Do you think anyone can learn how to code? Yeah. Oh, I strongly disagree. <laughs> Purely because it just looks so hard. It does. So I told so do you, you need that... a certain type of mind for it? No, I think it takes a certain approach which might be different for different people. Okay. So... So when I was doing my PhD in Manchester and I was working in the MRI, yeah. and I'd never done MRI before, we were using that SPM, which is built to MATLAB. Yeah. One of um, a different lab, a uh, guy called Shane, I don't recall his, his last name, but he was a physicist. Yeah. So he'd been programming forever. Yeah, and he part would, of physics. Yeah, yeah. it's part of physics. So he would just like, you know, fingers on the keyboard, make a new thing for SPM for me via... MATLAB, like yeah. making you button for me or something, and I, I just completely lost, baffled, had no idea what I was doing, I was intimidated, and thought, this is way beyond me. Yeah. So I relied on him a lot, um, and then going to the NIH in Baltimore, that was, we used a completely different software, which was all using bash scripts yeah, to, okay. jo to join stuff together, so I learned how yeah. to write bash scripts, or actually Seashell, and then had to learn how to do plotting with R and ggplot. Yeah. So R and ggplot, like that was scary, but I, I got it eventually, Didn't and then it, I yeah. got more confident. Because it was just, I just started off with plotting. That's yeah. it, no stats, just trying to make graphs. And it was like, so it was a nice, um, an easier curve. And then I tried to learn Python, and I, it was just beyond me. I just didn't get it. Yeah. So it wasn't until a few years later that I retried Python using different resources. And and I then started to, to finally feel more comfortable with it. And then I did the uh, data science bootcamp certificate. Yeah. And then I was then I was fine with it. This is where people are really going to find out I'm an idiot. If you know how to code in R, is Python not a relatively easy, like sidestep? I don't know. I've, I've on had this conversation with somebody else. I don't know if it's Kaylee Haynes or somebody yeah, else. Yeah, well, I was talking to Kaylee. So Kaylee yeah. is very much R, but she's been picking up she's Python. Been picking up Python. Yeah. I think I think the idea is once you're more familiar with how a programming language works. Yeah, okay, rather than specific ones. Yeah, the concepts will travel over. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's something that drives me insane when we're recruiting for software developers and they absolutely must have version blah, blah, blah <laughs> of this language. People can be quite particular, yeah. But it's like, if they know how to, like, if they're the, the best Java programmer in Manchester, they'll probably pick up, like, C Sharp, all right. Like, it's just how... Yeah. Not well, not for every single business no, case. Not but give them a couple of weeks. Like, <laughs> Maybe, what, like while, while folk are like getting up to speed in the new job. Because no one starts yeah. their job, puts their computer on and like puts something into production on first day. No, That's just but, not how it works. No. I, I wonder though if some people are just more comfortable keeping as many things the same as can be kept the same. Oh hundred percent. It's yeah. just easier. Yeah. But, well, in, yeah, I don't know. in this weird world of like not being able to hire, yeah. I mean, we won't get into it now. But like, yeah. if you're really struggling to find like a great data engineer, a great yeah. data scientist, mm. like go and find the person that's just finished their PhD in physics oh, on sure. some really cool project, yeah. and tell them to apply everything they've just been doing in a slightly different industry, and give them some of the tools and training and everything else you would do for every other employee ever. But like, don't make it so hard. And by the way, I shouldn't say PhD because I know Joe will kill me person that understands like problem solving problem solving is key if, if my PhD taught me anything is how to take the initiative and problem solve yeah like what do I know what where, where are the holes in my knowledge go and find out the knowledge you've got to figure out where it is 
Yeah. And and yeah, narrow it down. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Um, Paddy Lancaster have asked me to speak about something similar. Yeah. Um, I had to get that in there because Paddy Manchester has never even never even asked. <gasps> um, so sorry. We had you on our podcast. Yeah. Well, we sure. were the first Paddy podcast in the world. Is there more now? People jumped on the bandwagon. Oh, well, yeah, actually, yeah. Well, yes. somebody, I won't name, uh, but somebody <laughs> in America who's quite prominent in the Python community jumped on and created the PyData podcast. Oh, like the main PyData podcast. Yeah. So you now look like a kind of silo well, of it. But, but, then, but then he, turns out he did not ask permission from PyData to begin a PyData podcast. Oh, yes. So They're blacklisted. But, well, I think because he's prominent, he's probably been allowed to keep it. No. Uh, well, yes, yeah, so Padilla Manchester podcast, where do people find it? Anywhere. Just, just, just Google it. It actually is everywhere. Um, we, we, what's your we, Twitter we, handle for Padilla? It Everything's Padilla Manche- to Manchester with MCR as MCR, Manchester. Yeah. So Data MCR, all one word. Nice. Um, we're on Anchor, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts. I found Any, out anywhere we are. from this podcast that people mostly listen on Spotify. Oh, really? I was surprised. Oh, uh, yeah. I only listen to podcasts on Apple, but because it was the first place I knew you could listen to this po- like podcast, yeah. so I subscribed to a bunch right. and then just stay on that platform. Yeah. And most people listen to on mobile. We'll skip about the getting into data because we've talked about that. Yeah. And your path is, uh, I suppose, quite unique. I mean, a lot of people go from academia to data to industry, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But like, just the whole way through, like trying new things, not saying no to things. Mm. Came back to Manchester to set up a business, ended up at a startup, yeah. and now work at the like biggest media producer in, yeah. on Facebook in the yeah. entire world in the it's space. Not worked out too badly in, in the space of two years. Like it's, yeah. inc- it's incredible, and Again, you like somehow have time to do Pydata. I mean, yeah. the network has been key to all of that. I totally agree. The Manchester data stuff is amazing. I mean, I know I can ask like any of the Pydata people, like the organisers, you three, and There's four now. Four now. Sean, hi, hi, and. Uh, Macmillan community and some clients that I've just worked with for ages like if I need something mm. or want like a second opinion or whatever like it's just really easy mm. uh, which I don't think is true for all industry really? and even in Manchester I don't think it's true I think there'll be certain things like maybe software development or DevOps or <coughs> like networks or whatever like yeah. I don't really know I don't know what those communities are like I don't I think they're as strong I gave my first strong. DevOps talk last week no way yeah impressive you should come do that at Macmillan I know Tanya did like a DevOps in data at Mancamel before. She Tanya also Allard. presented at DevOps last week. It was DevOps Exchange. Nice. Sorry, that's a different recruitment company that organises Oh, it. I heard it's awful. <laughs> um, for my first DevOps talk, though, it went all well. right. Yeah. We still get people asking if we can get your slides from Mancamel. Oh, um, I want to write it up as... Because there's animation in it. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I'm, I'm, it's on my list of things to do to write it up as a blog post yeah. on my website so that you can have all the animation. That's good. Yeah. Risky doing animation talks. But you did it all, it's all pre-done, right? So like, there's well, no risk involved. Well, no, because like, uh, cause it was on ABMs, agent-based models. Yeah. The, the animation, some of the animation was an agent-based model that would respond to the mouse yeah, on the screen. Okay. So that was live. But then other parts, like the, the I recorded some things, like screen recorded some things that were on, that were, were Gives, gives me the fear when someone comes into my email and they're like, yeah, I'm going to do it on my machine because there's a few like live yeah. demo. Remember a guy, um, <laughs> Matt Jackson, I don't know if you were there for Matt's. Um, he, I've worked with him loads and he uh, was doing like a really cool data viz mm. where he went onto a website and he showed you something they were working on. Mm. But it needed quite like powerful connection because um, um, it's all quite fast. Uh, and he was on a guest Wi-Fi at a place we were getting hosted by okay. so as soon as he clicked on it he was just like ah like shit <laughs> whereas like if he did it in his place or in his machine yeah. or in his hotspot or whatever it would have looked really cool yeah. um, and we had a massive fail of a presentation um, at an event once where the live stuff just didn't work and without the live stuff yeah. the talk didn't make a lot of sense right. um, so it's one of those it's a risky thing to do yeah. but, hey, that's why the screen why not? is really good because yeah someone did like that it. last yeah. week the guy, the guy works at Asda stroke Walmart uh, talked about some of the stuff they're doing in Leeds and uh, he used like a clicker um, which was really cool oh. and like, it was so what you did like pre-recorded so when, yeah. you, when he was talking he didn't even have to do much yeah. and the screen was moving and yeah, like, yeah. it actually went a little bit too quick for him he was like Dah! but it was good oh. um, last question yeah. uh, it's not even a question we talked about your kickboxing but you ended up winning silver at the USA Nationals for Muay Thai correct? yeah pretty cool yeah sure I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's I mean, amazing. <laughs> uh, do you do any training? Uh, anymore? No, not anymore, no. no. Just got too good at it. Just what? You got too good at it. You completed yeah, it. Yeah, too good. I mean, silver is not too good. 
I mean, it's like so close. Yeah, sure, but um, the bracket was only. Don't don't ruin it. But sorry, there was only two of us fighting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I came second. <laughs> um, uh, no, no, it's I won, pretty yeah, cool. I won my fight. The one fight I had, I won it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you should get back into it, Manchester. I know, yeah. Um, I always like talking about what people do outside of data as yeah. well. Uh, I found that one of the guys likes CrossFit. One of them oh, was right. like a cocktail barman. Actually, that's the same person. Oh, wow. Um, loads of stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, which I think you don't get from anything else, really. Um, that's on the deepest depths of your LinkedIn profile as well. It's not even on, not even <laughs> yeah, on the CV. Yeah, you scour that. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, I take this very seriously. Yeah. Uh, all right, I think we've covered loads. Yeah. Um, so thanks for coming on. Thank you very um, much. We'll get it's you back fun. at MyCamel, I'm sure. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll come to Paideia. Um, and how can people find you? What's your Twitter handle? It is underscore J.A. Stark. As in House of Thrones, Stark. Game of Thrones, sorry. Game of Thrones? House of Thrones. So House, the next one. House of Thrones. <laughs> Game the, of Thrones. The prequel. The House of Stark, or Game of Thrones. Um, like Tony Stark and Iron Man that's more my bag or Tony Stark yeah. either one I get one or the other usually but underscore J-A Stark that's nice. my Twitter handle yeah lovely brilliant alright thank you very much thank you so yeah as expected that was an absolute blast um, Jennifer and I get on really well um, as we talked about I mean I helped her find work we've sponsored events and she's one of the regulars at the Man Camel event um, especially in the pub after uh, so great to sit down with her um, so thanks for her to coming on obviously she's a massive part of the Manchester data community and everything that is good about it um, so it was great to be able to kind of find out where she's come from um, and what she does now so another quick shout out to our sponsors Cathcart Associates thank you for all the help um, that they give us and we will see you next time thank you very much